from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. This is MJ. And this is Mark. So efficient. I know. So efficient. We we don't normally do that. No, do we? we don't. In the news today. Dang. I yes. saw on Google that Amazon is Michelle. You're probably aware of this. Is selling tiny houses. No. Yes, they will deliver to your door. It's actually a container home, but they're calling it a tiny house. Right. For um, I think it's thirty thousand dollars. Holy moly! A, a tiny house container home, complete with a patio door. Uh, a kitchen, a bathroom, a living space, and a bedroom. So you just plug it in. Yeah, they said all you got to do is plug it into your utilities. Plug and play. Yeah. Speaking of plug and play, I was uh, catching up with Casita's website yesterday. Oh. And because I'm going to be in Austin, Texas in a week and a half. And so I contacted him, Jeff, Jeff, um, and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. You said, Dumpster. Yes. Yeah, you said, <laughs> come on by. So I'm going to come on by. Um, Casita is actually now sort of um, advertising their their homes as having that option as well. Hmm. And are they up and drop live? Drop and plug. Oh, drop in your back, really in instead your backyard of, instead of putting them in their framework. Well, they're I mean they're still working on that as well. And huh. I don't know if you've they've got some new investors and they're making really good progress on what they're hmm. doing. But as you can imagine, the overhead associated with that mm-hmm. versus the overhead of making these self contained mm-hmm. units and yeah. drop in the backyard. So I don't know. Maybe Amazon is selling theirs. No. Amazon's no. look but ugly. If I really say that, yeah, they're it's that. just like a. Is that the brand name? <laughs> yeah, but ugly tiny. But ugly tiny com, I bet that's available. Hey, <laughs> hashtag but ugly tiny. Yeah, no, that's I had not heard that yeah. in the news. There was a lot going on in Portland news this week, of course, about tiny houses, but yeah. I had not heard that one. I had not heard that one. What's happening in Portland? So our what's your title? What's your official title, Mark? Or, Chloe's. Chloe's, oh, she's oh, a city, city commissioner. City commissioner. Yeah. Just city commissioner? Yeah. So <clears throat> a couple of days ago, the city commissioner, um, so they had this event, I think I mentioned it last time on the podcast, that they had this event wherein a church was declaring themselves an yeah. official sanctuary, yeah. and she took that event and platform as an opportunity to announce that the city of Portland is actually announcing what's, I guess, what I call a stay of execution on all... Um, <laughs> RVs and tiny houses on private property. Actually, that's a good, that's a big deal because uh, my neighbor, well, not my neighbor, a good friend of ours, um, this couple is really pissed off because their neighbor has like a, I think it's a 30 foot right. mobile home in their driveway. And apparently you're not supposed to park those no. things in neighborhoods. Correct. But now you can. But now you can. And you can live in that bitch. Exactly. Cousin Eddie's here. So on one hand, <laughs> on, on one hand, we all want would love to celebrate that, you know, the city of Portland is officially saying it's okay to have a tiny house on wheels or an RV in your backyard or your driveway. And we are not gonna bother you for now. We're gonna come up with rules and regulations and how we're gonna handle this later. Yeah. I think they're bowing, of course, to the pressure as the weather gets wetter and as the weather gets colder, they're bowing to the to the pressure to provide out of box solutions for homelessness. So let I don't I don't know that that's accurate. 
I, you're probably really? right. Maybe you were there. Because for one thing, a homeless person doesn't have a tiny house or a mobile home. I think he, they're making room for people like the people who are living stealth on, on, uh, in vans and things like that to, to park somewhere. The only problem I see with it is you can only do it on private property. And most of those people who are doing the stealth stuff are doing it on public streets and parks. That's what I'm saying, though. They're giving all the people that are on public streets and parks places to take them. But the those zombie people aren't homeless. And, well, that's true. I mean, technically homeless. Yeah. You're well, right. You're um, right. They, they don't have a home. Well, they have a home. It's on wheels. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Right. When you said homeless, I thought you meant people live sleeping on cardboard in the streets or No, in not necessarily. Although, um, again, if you were to sort of extrapolate their political um, motivation, I think that I still think that was their intention. I still think the city of Portland wants to say, look at what we're doing. We're thinking outside the box. We're giving you additional housing options you didn't have before. To who? Affordable options you didn't have before. To who? To the, ho- to, to to the, the legally homeless? No- like the people who sleep on cardboard? To the people that can no longer afford rent. Whoever that is. To the people that have RVs and van life people and that right. kind of thing. Right. I, I, in, in my perspective, that's not solving a problem because... If you have to do it on private property, let's say you have an RV and, and it's one of those ones we talked about last week, Michelle, that right. are just, what do you call those things? <laughs> Walking RVs. dead or so. Yeah, yeah zombie, zombie RVs. RVs. Yeah. yeah, you have something like that. You can only live in it on private property. So that means you have to go to someone's private property. You probably don't have private property. What does that mean? You're going to have to pay rent. And I know, like Bridget, my wife, for example, is thinking of charging market rates for one bedroom in her house. And that's like 1100 bucks. Right. And so if you're thinking of if, if you as a, not you, Michelle, but right. if you as an RV owner who doesn't have property is thinking of living legally in your house, you're going to probably have to pay someone 1200 bucks well, or something. Well, I to think live. the intent is you're finding somebody who's sympathetic to your situation and they're not going to charge you 1100 bucks, that they might yeah. charge you two or 300 that includes maybe some power hookup and right. stuff like that. Right. So it, it's kind of like the California thing that allows one ADX, ADX, AD. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Kelly, how you doing? Any um, <laughs> Kelly's the oh yeah, ADX, 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 anyway. yeah right right. Anyway, um, that 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 way, people can put one in their backyard, right? right. Which you know obviously helps with density too. Well, yeah, and we're going to be talking with someone about that later. I today. I do think it's two steps forward, one step back, though. In other words, I I applaud their efforts, mm-hmm. but boy, that's biting off a lot. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's two steps forward. Really, and yeah. I. I I'm still working through this in my head. Like they have placed, for instance, one of my biggest concerns, and I don't, if I lived in Portland and I had yeah. someone parked that parked a 30 mm-hmm. foot long zombie RV in the driveway next to mine, yeah. I, would, I would feel that way too. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, they've placed no sanitation requirements. None. None at all. No. Again, so, shout out to Cousin Eddie. So what, <laughs> Shitter's full. Yeah. Well, also, what are they going to do once they do come up with the requirements and once they do find out that 80% of the vehicles out there are not meeting said requirements, because I bet a lot of them sanitation wise probably won't be able to. But that's what needs to be addressed, right? So at least they're... Almost immediately. That's right. what I'm thinking. They, they, right. It was sort of a carte blanche stay of execution. Mm-hmm. But, and they're like, okay, we'll get back to you later on what we're going to do in the official rules and regulations. But for now, we're just going to ignore you. So it'll... Again, part of me is like, this is very cool for the tiny house movement mm-hmm. because this is sort of gives us a little bit of um, a nod to mm-hmm. the um, to the fact that they are a mm-hmm. great housing option. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, just so, more questions. It's interesting. Um, I'm just trying to, you know. Oh, 
So, over by the Morrison Bridge, maybe? I yeah, know. no, I was going to say, so <laughs> speaking of two steps forward, one steps back, I know a lot, or I don't know them personally, but probably some tiny housers go through that when they're doing their builds. And it would be a great idea for them, instead of having those one step back, to talk to someone like Andrew Morrison. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he's probably, he's the one person that is definitely the most knowledgeable on the, on the subject. I've heard he's kind of a son of a bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, <laughs> hey you know? Oh, he's still there. <laughs> so, um, long time no see. Yeah, long time no see. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? Really good. How long has it been? Like a year? More? Yeah. Or, a little more, I think. Maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little over a year. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so much has happened. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the reason why I was an absolute pest from hell mm. and getting him back on the show because mm-hmm. so much has happened and so much has changed. So, Andrew, what's happened and what's changed? <laughs> you know, not much, really. <laughs> same day, different stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much all the same. Uh, no, a lot has changed. And we've, we've, got a, we've got a new National Tiny House Code now, which was approved by the International Code Council. So that's huge. Totally. Um, and then we've got states on several different uh, levels, several different states are adopting that code. It has to go through uh, sort of a, a, a multi-stage process where the, the approval was step one, which is the big step. And now it's about getting it adopted at the local state levels. Um, and that's starting to happen. So it's, it's that's very exciting. That, that so we're is seeing exciting. major movement there. Very cool. So of all the states, um, I know of a few. So how many states thus far are you aware of that have officially adopted Appendix B? Um, well, March. right now we, we've we got, uh, Idaho was the first one to, to adopt. Uh, uh, Maine is set to adopt by the end of the, or the first of the year uh, coming forward, uh, as is Georgia. Um, hmm. Oregon has to have... Uh, a, a tiny house code uh, in place by the first of the year. Uh, I'm actually on that official uh, building codes division uh, committee. Nice. Uh, so I'm excited to be on that. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're meeting some resistance in Oregon. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really excited to be on this committee and, and try to help this move go forward, hmm. uh, which is surprising. Uh, let's see what else. New Mexico is moving towards it. Uh, Massachusetts. I went out, flew out to Massachusetts and met with the top officials there. Um, maybe a month and a half ago, and they agreed to put it officially into their pipeline. And the lead inspector anticipates that it will be uh, adopted there by June of next year. Uh, that's what I know so far. There, I'm sure there are other states that I'm not aware of yet. But I've been focusing on those states. Uh, so once those are all wrapped up, then I'll be able to, uh, you know, widen my gaze a little bit. That's amazing. So, any news on our neighbors to the north? <clears throat> nothing yet. Nope, nothing yet. I don't know what's happening there. Uh, I know I've heard from lots of people who are interested in having something happen, but nothing uh, from any officials at this point. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to inspire other people to get to get into it and, and get rolling and trying to get the process started. You know, basically, they just need to call their building officials and say, hey, who do I talk to to get a code adopted in our state? Yeah. Uh, and then once they have that information, they can start, you know, moving down that road because there's often a lot of preliminary stuff that has to get uh, taken care of that really most anyone can do. It's really once it gets to the stage where, you know, they're considering voting on it or really debating it, that you need someone who really understands the ins and outs of it to be able to, uh, you know, like when I went to Boston, it was supposed to be this totally friendly, 
experience where every, everyone there was on our side and and as my as my slideshow was getting put up and, and set up people there was like a barrage of questions <laughs> like whoa this is less friendly than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> uh, and you know and it all worked out in the end but they they wanted you know they have their concerns and, yeah. and so uh it's just really important to be able to answer those concerns with with solid you know uh code-based answers so it takes it definitely takes a little bit of uh research before you can can sit in that chair i guess so what is um what do you if you can sort of simplify maybe not we got 45 minutes um <laughs> what do you find is the biggest um resistance yeah is what it, were some of the is concerns it, yeah is it build quality are they are they more concerned about the diy builders versus the pro builders are they more concerned with the transient nature of them what what do you find is like the number one and number two biggest sort of pushback or concern? Yeah, the two biggest things are pretty much always the same. Um, the, the biggest concern um, is, well, certainly of a movable tiny house. Um, and, and I'm using that language uh, intentionally. You know, we used to call them tiny houses on wheels. I'm really trying to get people to move away from that because that, um, that defines it within like the code. When you start writing code, you realize how, or I certainly realized how, picky that language is um so if i say tiny house on wheels that means it's on wheels yeah. always it has to be on wheels um, if i say it's a movable tiny house it means it could come in on wheels we could take the wheels off we could set it we could put the wheels back on and move it so it, it gives it more flexibility um, so one of the one of the big concerns is that the the irc the international residential code will not deal with temporary structures period they just won't deal with it Interesting. so if it's on wheels then they won't deal with it if it comes in on wheels and is removed, if those wheels are removed, then they'll then they'll work with it. That's the same way they deal with manufactured housing. They have, uh, I believe it's Appendix E for manufactured housing in the 2015 IRC. Uh, talks about how you take the wheels off, how you set it on what's called a permanent set foundation, uh, which meets the intent of the code for foundations. And then if you choose to move that manufactured house later, you just remove that permanent set, you put the, the wheels back on the chassis, and you drive it away. And so... That could work for tiny houses. How hard is, how hard would it be for someone to take the wheels and axles off their tiny, or maybe just the wheels off their tiny house? Not that hard. It, it is just the wheels. Oh. Uh, there's no requirement in the uh, in the appendix for manufactured housing, which is what we're using. Sort of as a we're, we're looking at pulling some information out of that in order to create a movable tiny house uh, code proposal uh, for the next code cycle. Uh, it's not that hard. I mean, literally, you're taking off the wheels. The, the hardest part is having a foundation system that meets the requirements of foundations within the code. Uh, so, but there are options there too. There's um, what they call permanent wood foundations, which literally you're building a foundation out of wood, which wow. you could then pack up and, and move with you later. Wow. Um, there's manufactured housing sets, which are a combination of tie downs and some blocking underneath the, the, the chassis. So there's different ways of doing it. And we're also throwing in there the option of using uh uh, a, a licensed design professional. So you could have an architect or an engineer design something and stamp it. And then as long as it meets the intent, then that will be accepted as well. So it, it opens up things to all kinds of options by doing it that way. Wow. Or, or you just park it in the wrong part of the city and it'll be done for you. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They might just take the hubcaps though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on how ambitious they are. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, so this is interesting. So the um, uh, when you when you 
I have two questions for you, Andrew. When you, um, the first one is when you started doing this, how did you learn that movable was better than wheels? Did someone, some code guy come up to you and say, hey, dude, let me just educate on some things? Or did you make some mistakes and then figure that out? Gotcha. Um, let, me, let me first answer the second part of the question from before, because there's a second thing that people are concerned about, oh. um, which I think is important for people to know, and, and that's fires. So the, um, the concern, and this is a big one in Oregon that, that we're getting hung up on. The concern is that in such a small space as we have with a, with a tiny house loft, that if there's a fire in the home, that it would be completely engulfed in smoke really quickly. And one of the areas that we have as an escape is a roof access window or a skylight that, that meets the, the size requirements. So when you open up that skylight, there's the risk that it's going to draw that oh, smoke yeah. and fire straight up to yeah. the to the loft. So it, it really reduces your time. So that's something that I think has to be studied, but it also has a different side to it, which is that the house is really tiny. So that if there's, you know, if you have proper smoke detectors in the house, if there's a fire that starts, let's say in the kitchen or below the loft or so, anywhere in the house, it's going to set that fire alarm off way faster than if you're filling a large house with smoke. By the time a large house fire or by the time a fire in a large house triggers the fire uh, alarms, it's quite possible that it's already taken hold really, really pretty strongly. And it's a much more grave situation to get out of. Whereas, uh, you know, you might, you set a piece of toast on fire in a, <laughs> in a tiny house. <laughs> so we're all going to die. <laughs> I think that in that sense, it gives you a little bit more time because you have that an immediate response from the alarm. That's going to get you up and go, Holy cow, I got to get out of here. And, you know, then let's say you open that skylight and it does fan the flames. You'll still have time to get out because, yeah. A, it's, it's, you know, you're not going far. You're jumping down maybe nine feet or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and B, the, the house is so small that whatever, whatever fire started, you're going to see quickly. So, yeah, when, um, I, that was, <clears throat> when I first started sleeping in my tiny house, actually, I was, I was a little weirded out. I mean, it took me a little while before I could really sleep soundly. And part of it had to do with the fact that I, for the first time I was living by myself. Yeah. And I was kind of afraid of, you know, intruders or unexpected. And then finally, I, I clicked in my brain, like more so than ever before. If an indigenous intruder in my house, I know before they get the second foot across the door. Exactly, right. So, so same thing with a fire or anything else that yeah. happens in that house. You are so intimately familiar with what is going on mm -hmm. in the entire thing at yeah. any you know, if I leave a fan on, if I turn off all the lights and I leave a candle on right. in the kitchen. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. As you know, also, Andrew, from living in one, you're totally dialed into what's going on yeah. in that house at any time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. I would also offer that clearly you didn't work hard enough on your house if you didn't sleep well the first night. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been exhausted. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, okay. to, to answer your other question, yeah. though, um, which uh, was how, how I came up with the movable side of things. It was really just looking at when Martin Hammer and I were working on the first, uh, the tiny house code, which the appendix was, oh, by the way, it's changed. It was appendix V. It's now appendix Q. I heard they, it. I heard they it. They published get, yeah. it and they changed it. Okay. Um, which is actually good because half the people were calling it appendix five. five. And I realized <laughs> it was not a Roman numeral. Right. <laughs> uh, so, when Martin and I were writing that, it just became so clear, really through his, his mentorship, because he, he'd already done quite extensive work within the codes. Oh. Um, but it became clear that, that every single word, like I would, I would write a draft 
of a provision, uh, whatever provision, let's, let's call it the emergency egress and rescue. And I'd send it to him and he would write back and literally change like a comma or a word, like a word. Wow. <laughs> and the whole meaning, he's like, so you see, if we do that, now people can basically live in shoeboxes. I was like, holy crap, I didn't notice that. That's crazy. <laughs> so it's literally like the, the, the focus on words is so intense within the code because wow. that's how people read it. Right. They sure. have to interpret what we've written yeah. and make law out of it. So it, it really quickly became obvious that that's, uh, you know, that, that's a major, major uh, detail to focus on. Yeah, I mean, people are trying to find loopholes in laws all the time. So you really have to exactly. be careful. On which. So, so my other question then was, how much of your time are you spending on this stuff as opposed to like helping people build this tiny real homes? job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And, and are, are you being paid this for doing that work? He's Are you making an offer? Love. <laughs> 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 nice <love>. retort. <laughs> gift cards, no, Starbucks it, it, gift it's cards. It's all pro bono work. It's it's uh, you know like for example the Boston uh, meeting with the with the building officials there. That's I'm in Oregon. So that's the other side of the country. So mm. um, we 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 have the uh, the advantage, I guess mm. I'd say, uh, of teaching workshops. So we scheduled a workshop uh, for Boston, oh. so we could go out and and at least cover some of our expenses through the workshop. A good idea. Uh, but no, I'm not getting paid for it. I'm, I'm putting quite a bit of time in. Uh, Martin and I, believe it or not, right now are still working on the original appendix that we wrote. There's a whole other level uh, that's called the commentary. So basically for every provision that we wrote and that was approved, we have to write a paragraph or two or three about why we wrote this provision, why it's important in the code and where we got our our, our, you know, our, our legs to stand on. This so t- it's a whole other level that I didn't know we were going to have to do. Honestly, I'm kind of wow. like, wow, this is super. Well, it's what totally, I want to do right now. It totally <laughs> makes sense because in every every public uh, canon, there is that kind of thing. Like with the Bible, the priests and and ministers and things, they write, you know, essays or or uh, tomes explaining every verse and whatnot. And same thing with the Constitution. I think the Supreme Court. They go through and they describe their opinions of each each article. I think it's it seems normal for that kind of thing to happen. I really like the way you just raised the elevation of the quality of the work I do to right between the Constitution and the Bible. Thank you for that. You noticed that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 bound. I think the Tiny House Appendix is bound to be probably the third most read document in the world. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right up there with Ron L. L. Ron Hubbard oh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Andrew Morrison for president. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, don't wish that upon me. <laughs> well, it will. be become a kind of bible for the tiny house movement though right it, it certainly has the potential to to change them i mean really change the movement yeah. I, you know the the ability to do something and, and and right now the appendix as it stands appendix q is not specifically aimed towards movable tiny houses they wouldn't let us talk about the movable aspect um, and that's a longer story wow. uh, but it takes away all of the other challenges really it takes away the legality of of lofts now they're totally legal to have a sleeping loft they're defined as such um you can access those lofts by means of uh stairs which have been changed drastically to be much steeper than and narrower than what are allowed in regular houses can you can Uh, you use a can you use a rock wall uh you know i didn't put that in there Uh, (laughs) you can use a you can use a stairway you can use a ladder you can use a ship's ladder you can use an alternating tread device so you've got four options of getting up there wow 
Uh, you know, I, I think putting a rock wall in a stripper pole might be. Ooh, the next <laughs> 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 so we'll just see how Damn. that goes. You shot my third house design all the hell. <laughs> there's still time, though. You know, there's always the alternative materials and, and uh, approach, uh, construction approach. So. so it has all of that stuff. It has the emergency exits. It has uh, oh. what else? I think there's something else in there. I can't think of what it is right now. What about um, the bathroom? All those oh, ceiling uh, bathrooms are fine. They're, we can meet the standard bathroom requirements in a tiny house. Okay. So that, that doesn't that doesn't affect us. Well, the ceiling um, height but, one. Uh, ceiling heights? Did I say ceiling heights? No, we're asking. No. Oh yeah, so ceiling heights are changed too. So now you can be—you used to have to be seven feet. Now you can be under a loft. You can be six foot eight. If that loft contains a bathroom or a kitchen, it can be as low as six foot four, um, which is—that's a, a major difference. That's an eight-inch savings over what it was, which is in a tiny house is a lot. Um, so I- it, it takes away all of those those challenges, and then it leaves just the foundation, which you can address, like I sort of snidely mentioned there. <laughs> Uh, with an appendix, or not appendix, sorry, uh, section R104.11. That's the alternative materials, uh, what is it, alternative materials design and equipment installation or something like that. So that provision is within the code. We had nothing to do with it. That's been there for years. Yeah. And it basically says, if it's not in the code, you can present us with a design huh. uh, that's been handled, you know, it's been presented by a licensed design professional, so an architect or an engineer. You can give us that design. And the building official then has the authority to say, yes, that, that works, or to say, no, it doesn't work. If they say no, they're required to respond in writing as to why it doesn't meet the code. Nice. So then you just go back to your licensed design professional and say, okay, address this, because now he says it won't work because of this. You take it back, and, and you know the design professional, she can work on that and fix it for you. Take it back in, and, and the building official can say yes or no. So it's uh, eventually, the building officials are either going to get sick of you coming back, <laughs> <laughs> with a new answer every time, or they're going to recognize, okay, my concern is the foundation didn't give you proper tie downs. You've now come back with proper tie downs. Therefore I can give you a permit now. Nice. So it's a pretty, pretty simple way of using the existing code uh, to get past the, 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 the challenge of the trailer. I like how you referred to the design professional as a she in that exposition. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> he was talking about me. I, I guess I want to go back to the law for a second because you said something that I I thought I might have misunderstood or might have been re- I might have heard as unclear. So when you say the loft can be six foot four, ceiling height, ceiling height the, from the, the from ceiling the first height floor. under the loft. Sorry, okay. under, the loft. under the loft. Okay, you missed the word under. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Right. Okay, and then the up above it can be. Uh, gosh, what did we say it was? I think <clears throat> I have to pull it up. But I think it's thirty inches. Um, so basically the, the lowest end being 30 inches is what's going to be contained for, uh, or, or the limits of what counts towards your minimum square footage. Cause you have to have a minimum square feet of 35 square feet and a minimum direction, uh, length in any direction of five feet. So you can't be less than five feet long or five feet wide. Um, so that square footage is measured from where it's 30 inches from ceiling to floor. Uh-huh. If you have a steep gable roof, that's six and 12 or higher. Uh, then it can, that number comes down to 18 inches. So the lowest end of that loft that would count for just square footage would be 18 inches. Wow, interesting. And we had tried to get it lower than that. And, and it's, again, one of those things where the numbers and the words all matter. Right. When we sit, you know, Because I know there, I have friends who have tiny house lofts where the, the gable comes down and touches the loft floor. Oh, wow. So, so I said, well, can we make it you know, six inches or zero inches? And, and Martin says, well, that basically means that someone could live in a drawer you know, like <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's a good point. We 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 won't we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So you were talking about the Bible and the Constitution. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, we here at the podcast and, and um, I definitely consider myself to be an advocate. But really, when it comes to Appendix Q, I, I almost feel like an evangelist. Because <laughs> believe it or not, there's believe it or not, there almost seems Amen. to be even within the tiny house movement, there seems to be some resistance as to whether or not this oh, yeah. is a good idea or whether or not this is a direction we want to go. And Praise so Jesus. instead of saying I'm pro tiny houses or I'm pro legalization of yeah. tiny houses, mm. oh no, 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 no. I'm pro appendix Q. Like I'm so you have to put on your LGBTQ. Oh, I know, that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> that's what I've been thinking the whole time. <laughs> It was five or Q, whatever. I'm a Q. Um, so yeah, I, I I think at times I almost feel like an evangelist mm. where I have had many, many conversations um, where I applaud and laud and push and, and advocate more passionately than some um, <laughs> for this particular approach at legalization. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. And I think it's, you know, there's, there's a couple pieces of resistance that I've met <clears throat> within the movement. One is people who are like, you can't tell me what to do with my house, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, okay, cool. You don't have to follow the provisions of the code. You can keep doing what you're doing now, which is building technically illegally. Which is and still that's illegal, totally right? cool. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome to do that. Then yeah. I was going to be and kind then the of my other, point. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that was kind of my point. It's like, well, you can be anti-Q and just do exactly what you're doing now and be out of the bounds of what eventually could be legal everywhere, which people do all the time. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So there's no, it doesn't really affect those people at all. Although they think it does, which is funny. Like somehow, because there's a new code, and that's going to be the piece that stops them from living this totally rebellious life. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Seriously doubt it. All of a sudden, the Department of Homeland Security is going to be... <laughs> right. was going to be a pirate. <laughs> well, my first tiny house was actually built, obviously, before any of this came around. But now that it has... Um, I'm actually, I've actually changed my design methodology to meet all the requirements oh. of Appendix Q. I, and I don't, just because I think it's a good idea, if I ever have a snowball's chance in hell of ever being legal, especially for my rentals, of yeah. course, that I'm building, um, I've actually changed, again, my design methodology to make sure that all of my rentals could maybe potentially cross my fingers, eventually be, uh, you know, contained under that. Mm. So it's made a huge impact on, um, and I... And again, when I designed my first tiny house, I still was responsible as far as, um, again, egress in lofts. You'd be actually yeah. amazed at how many people built their lofts without windows no large escape. enough to fit out of. Yeah. Like, that just right. makes zero sense to me. I, yeah. That never exactly. made sense to me at all. And You so, mean you, you underestimated the size of your ass for your stairs, but not for your not for windows. <laughs> not for the windows. <laughs> so, Andrew, I don't know if you know, but Perry's actually referring to a video that's, I don't know if viral is the right term, but there's a video of me out there <laughs> talking about my stairs and my design of my stairs. <clears throat> and I, one of the favorite comments that everybody seems to like is when I designed my stairs, I underestimated the size of my ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Not yeah. for the not for the egress. Not for, not for life safety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, speaking of builds, I have a, a question for you, and this is a little bit sensitive because there's some anonymity here. But we have heard through the grapevine that builders are coming into trouble because their builds are not withstanding the test of time. Uh huh. Um, there have been significant problems with high-profile builds, actually, um, where the owners, the new owners have had to come back and sue the builders 
And so, and, and as a result, we see, or we're hearing rumors of, of some, um, some people wanting to get out of the build business altogether. Do you yeah. know, do you know what's going on there? Like, what is it when I think about these tiny houses and I'm not a builder, I have no experience other than the one I just recently done, but it seems like it would be easier to build a tiny house than like a, uh, a traditional house because you just got less stuff to do because it's smaller. What, what is it about? First of all, have you heard the, that's a Michelle question. Have you heard these mm-hmm. rumors yourself? And if so, what's going on? Well, I think uh, there, there's a few things going on. I, I think at one level, uh, <clears throat> we've got a, a lot of people in uh, a rapidly expanding market. You know, So there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to be part of that. And they jump on. And maybe they have build experience. Maybe they don't. Um, and they build themselves. They market themselves well. And, and next thing you know, they're building houses where maybe they don't have the skill level to actually be building. Uh, so that's one thing that can happen. Uh, and we're seeing that, you know, I'm definitely, I've been seeing that for a number of years now where, uh, you know, working with people, they, they contact me and say, Hey, can you help me with this, this issue I've got going on where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in contract with a builder and they haven't delivered. And I look at their contract and their contract is totally lame. It doesn't, it doesn't have a delivery date. It doesn't have any provisions that, that give them any grounds to stand on. Wow. So like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, sharks coming into the to the waters i would say um then that's that's a challenge for people uh the other thing is that like you know look at regular construction there are houses all the time that are built poorly and end up in lawsuits and um you know have major major mold damage and, oh, wow. and all kinds of issues so i think it's 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 par for the course i think it, it, it's going to happen and now that it's getting to be a bigger field we're seeing there's just more people doing it and in terms of the ease of it yeah, it's smaller. I, I said at the workshop, so like if, if you really hate the process of hanging rafters, don't worry, it's going to be done in 10 minutes because it's a small <laughs> space. You know? So, it's, you know, it's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the, yeah. you know, the idea is that it is quick because it's small. However, when you build a conventional house, let's say I build a house uh, in, uh, in, in, Northern, in Northern California, I might be concerned with earthquakes and what might happen if I have earthquakes. So that might be the biggest challenge for me with building that house or, or maybe some snow loads. If you build a tiny house, that's movable. You're dealing with earthquakes as you drive down the road and hit potholes. That's every time you do that at 50 miles an hour, that's an earthquake. You're dealing with high sustained winds. You're dealing with gusting winds as winds hit you as you're, you know, you're driving 50 or 70 if you're crazy. And, and, (laughs) not not our personal house but a house of ours that was built by somebody else it was mm-hmm. delivered to them across the country and the guy drove 70 miles an hour across the country to get it there wow so that was it was a good a good testament to the quality of the, the build yeah <laughs> so that was good <laughs> um, but yeah so you've got that you got tractor trailers that go by and that huge gust comes off so now you've got an earthquake and a major windstorm happening at the same time wow and then you get rain and and you know other effects on that and then you slam on the brakes and now you've got deceleration, which is going to really rack the building. So they take, a, they take a pounding when they're driving. Um, and that's, that's a lot, a lot more, um, you know, acts of God, if you will, <laughs> happening all at once. Every time you move your house, not, not because the weather or the, or the ground is shift, shifting, but because you're moving your house. So, you know, I think, I think that maybe the expectations about what it takes to build a tiny house have been too low. Uh, and I've been, you know, for, for since I've got involved in this this uh, community, I, I've been 
I don't know if yelling is the right word, but really waving my arms and jumping up and down a lot on, on social media, telling people to stop building their houses with screws. Um, because people <laughs> think screws are like this amazing thing because they grip, but they have zero shear strength unless they're structural screws. So all, and there's a ton of houses that are built with screws. And what happens is as you're driving down the road and banging that thing on potholes and everything else, you're, you're, you're shearing off those screws and busting up the frame and siding starts falling off and, you know, framing comes apart. So, you know, really you need to be using nails. You can use ring shank nails if you want more grab, but nails and glue. If you have nails and glue, you're going to hold that thing together a lot better than if you're using screws. Man, I have never heard someone so completely describe the, the effects of tiny house violence <laughs> the way you just have. I mean... It, it, I, I never thought of it the way you just described it. So maybe yeah. that should be the, the test. Maybe, maybe uh, we should require all tiny houses to drive uh, at, 70 miles an hour. at 70 miles an hour for at least 200 miles. Exactly. And yeah, then probably in Nevada where there's nobody else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. And then park it under a waterfall exactly. for an hour. Yeah, and if exactly. you can do that, then you're good. Exactly. And I only well, say I mean, that because I parts uh, you go yeah. to Ikea and they've got that little, that little section where there's a chair that's got this fist. That's just punching it for like 16 years. You know, yeah. so we <laughs> test our questions. Like, we, who's doing that in the tiny house industry? No one, you right. know, we're looking at taking, materials that are used from your standard construction, conventional construction, which just sits in one place and deals with the weather that hits it. And now asking it to act in a totally different framework. Wow. I, I didn't know I, the screw thing, Michelle mentioned screws versus nails I, a couple of episodes back and mm -hmm. I didn't get what she was talking about, but now I can totally get what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. The screw versus nail. And again, when he talks about sort of yelling, not being the right word, but yeah. sort of waving your arms, um, it's because every once in a while on social media, the whole screw versus nail debate, you know, everybody gets into that discussion. and Oh, like once a month. It's yeah, ridiculous. yeah wow. at least once a month. And, and it, it's just so weird to try to explain to people shear factor yeah. and try to explain to people the difference between structural screws and non-structural and the yeah. difference between um, designing in. Oh, here's another question I have for you or sort of a debate. That's the, nation, the notion of... Um, um, and the envelope or the breathable houses. There's oh, so question. many people that are like so intent on creating these totally airtight, watertight, totally tight little houses. Um, you should see the gestures, Michelle. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm seeing them in my head already. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about that, Andrew, your perspective on the breathable house? Um, as you, as people may know, my, first tiny house was, was, um, very much, um, I was very much inspired by the Morrison design, the tiny house build home H O M E mm -hmm. design. Uh, I think I made a major mistake, which remains to be seen. And that's the ventilation of the actual rafters and, and the roof, the roof joists. But on the flip side, however, I went way, 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 way overboard on other forms of ventilation and humidity fans and those kinds of things. So, um, another issue in tiny houses is the the safety of our air um, and the safety of, you know, things like moisture control. Um, yeah. Are we seeing any advancement? I mean, are people finally getting the message? Do you think that people are finally getting the message there as well? Like let's not build houses that don't breathe. Let's not try to make them completely, you know, hermetically sealed. Yeah, exactly. There are people that yeah. actually, there are builders that actually bring in these pressure test machines 
and they put it through the window and then they test the pressure to prove that there's no air escaping wow. from the house. By the way, my house has actually have enough holes in it. Um, I don't know that I want to say this, but now that everybody knows, I actually have frogs coming into my house. <laughs> so His I think there's Ralph. probably a happy medium between frogs entering your house and, and airtight. <laughs> I'm just guessing there's some common ground in the middle there that might work. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think... Um, so my response to that is it's, it's really about building science. And this is true for the screws and nails. Like in that conversation that comes up weekly or monthly, whatever it is, there's always that person or those several people who write in and say, Oh, I built my house with screws. It's doing great. <laughs> like, awesome. You know, it's been around for three months. That's fantastic. You know? <laughs> it's been around for five years, even whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's like, that's great that it worked for you, but there's like people's jobs is to take, nails and screws and compare them and and try to beat the crap out of them and see which one does better like we know this we know that we know the science of how those things work we so so then it's like okay i don't really care what your opinion is if you look in the code you look in the building code you look at fastener uh, schedules like what's required for fasteners it's very specific and it's very specific why you read the commentary it'll tell you why those things are there so it's it's not an opinion piece it's a it's a building science piece mm. um and that's true for the uh, the frogs versus air, air sealed houses. Uh, those those houses that are built, and it's been the way it, it, of things the last maybe I don't know ten twenty years that it's been moving towards more and more sealed houses. Really working on on air tightness and vapor seals and wrapping the interior with plastic so no moisture can get into the walls. That's been the norm, uh, and that's that's how. In conventional construction, I was taught to build as well as get it as tight as you possibly can. Um, and then in natural building, it's the exact opposite. So I do a lot of straw bale construction and, and education in that as well. And in that field, it's about allowing things to breathe and to be, you know, not like <laughs> not, not holes with frogs, but allowing, <laughs> allowing that house to, you know, the plaster is, is, a, is an example. The plaster will actually, it's hygroscopic. It'll pull moisture from the air. And hold on to it and then release it when the air dries back out. You're actually working with the house as opposed to fighting it. Huh. Uh, and what we're seeing now is a pretty significant shift in the discussion around vapor barriers. Uh, what, what we're seeing is that vapor barriers have been, <clears throat> like I said, they've been the norm, but they're causing a lot of damage <laughs> where you know, you're, you're trapping you're saying, okay, we're not going to let any moisture into our walls. But then what happens is it gets in. Yeah. Welcome to the world of, of Murphy, right? Water <laughs> will find its way in. Yeah. And then, it, and then it can't get out because you've trapped it in there. You've wrapped it in a plastic popsicle. There's no way for it to get out. <laughs> so we're seeing houses with tons of, of water damage and mold and rot and things like that. So the, even, the reason this is a difficult question to answer is even within the field of building science, for those people who this is their job, you know, the, the, there's a, a great uh, building materials laboratory up in Alaska that basically will, you know, it'll, it'll test materials because the conditions there are so oh, harsh that, that it's like sense. a great place to test. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, within that field, it's probably a 60-40 split right now, I would say, where 60% of people are saying vapor barriers are actually a problem and we need to stop using them. But there's still 40 who are arguing, no, 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 that, no, we just we need to fine-tune things. So the fact that those people can't even decide for the rest of us builders and, and, you know, average, average Joe's and, and Julie's to be able to come through and decide how this is going to, you know, affect our house. It's a, it's a hard decision to make. 
So, and, you know, it, sorry, Andrew. So I'm, I'm really curious about this whole vapor thing. It's like, if you, so if you build your house to breathe, and by the way, just as a quick aside, I'd love to see a straw bell tiny house. Um, yeah, <laughs> on wheels, on wheels, yeah, <laughs> yeah, on wheels. No, there's one in England, but uh, that's the only one I know of. Oh, that's weird. Um, th- so this very primary thing, it's like you either, I can see where having a house breathing contributes to air quality, but that increases the cost of your heating and cooling, doesn't it? Which is not necessarily. Already. It's, oh, it's true. Yeah, the the word breathe is it, it's a very confusing word. So uh, in in the in the example of a straw bale house. There's a very, 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 very slow um, movement of. It's not air. It's like I don't. I honestly don't. I don't even know what it is scientifically. I don't know how to answer it. But but basically, it's like you've got these giant filters on your, which are your walls. These giant straw bales, which become filters that allow um, the pressurized air. This you know, homes are pressurized from the inside. So if you've got uh, the force of that pressure pushing against the walls. If you have gaps around your electrical boxes, your switches, things like that, you're going to push air into the wall. Right. That's a problem. We don't want to do that. We want to seal those gaps up with um, with foam uh, gaskets around the, around the plug, so you don't have anything moving into the walls there. Because air carries moisture. We know that. We know that if you have warm air, it carries a lot of moisture. When it meets cold air or a cold item, it can't carry as much moisture. It drops the moisture out. So that's like the the, the, the technical term for that is meeting, meeting the dew point. So if that dew point happens inside your wall, you carry all this warm air in the wall, and then the air goes, ah, I'm just going to leave this right here, and it drops it all out in the wall. That's a major problem. So we need to stop air from getting in. But pressurizing that air and pushing it against the plaster, where it's not actually moving through, it's just sort of slowly pushing through, and any moisture that's carried is, is grabbed in the plaster and held and then released. Uh, it, it doesn't affect the walls in that negative way. So it gives you this sense of cleaner air. It gives you the sense of the house can move. It's not sealed. It's going to very slowly move that. Uh, I'm just going to call it energy because I, I don't want to yeah. confuse the word air. It's going to move that energy through the wall. Um, but it does not affect the energy efficiency of the wall. In fact, a straw veil wall, um, since we're using this example, is, is roughly three times the, the, the R value of a conventional house. Right. They're, they're incredibly efficient. Right. So... It, so, it does work. It's just a different approach. Interesting. So now I feel like I have to um, recover my reputation as a builder real quick. Um, <laughs> no one's judging you, Michelle. <laughs> I know they're not. But the frog is actually swimming through the pee trap, um, which is at the base of the washing machine. Uh, not that train. kind of pee, Perry. No, it's a skanky, it's a skanky frog. <laughs> I don't care what kind of pee trap it is. You're not supposed to be swimming through that shit. He swims through the pee trap and then he crawls up the one and a half inch pipe that comes up behind the washer and dryer. That's the theory anyways. Um, but what you were talking about actually reminds me of biology 101 a thousand years ago when I went to college. Um, and that is osmosis, a process by which molecules tend to pass through a semi-permeable membrane He's from a less from a concentrated solution <laughs> to a more concentrated one, thus equalizing the concentrations on each side of said membrane. So um, what you were talking about, we talk about breathable tiny houses. I think that's probably a more osmosis is actually almost a yeah. more accurate description of kind of what's happening. Yeah, I think so too. A little equilibrium. And, and if, if you hadn't said anything, I would have thought for sure that was from memory that she was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. was perfect. <laughs> I have my own, I have my own personal definition. I mean, I, I do remember memorizing that. Um, it was the one, again, term that I remember from bio 101 
but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to wing it. So yeah. yeah, I'm looking at my laptop. So my personal one would have had more boots related to exactly. this. <laughs> <laughs> my biology memory was transpiration. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Transpiration? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, this is Mark is giving us the cut signal. So shaking my head. <laughs> So Andrew, we're gonna to have to have you on in another twelve months because every time you come on, you you partake a, or you dis, you dispense with a wealth of knowledge. Well, thanks, appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great having you. And uh, tiny house listeners, I'm sure you're just as full of new information as I am. Uh, maybe not Michelle <laughs> because Michelle knows everything. No, <laughs> <laughs> just only because I stalk Andrew Morrison yes, exactly. <laughs> and everything he ever publishes, including his personal opinions. I take to heart. I wear a little, you know, like I said, I'm an evangelist. Evangelist, yeah, 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 no, yeah, amazing. And you've been baptized, listeners. So mm-hmm. uh, we will check you out next week when we have yet another, maybe not as informative guest, but it'll be entertaining. I can guarantee you that. That's what we try. Yes. Bye, Shawa. Bye. Bye. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>